Yeah, this is Joey Baladonna from Anthrax, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Chris Roderick of Megadeth, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody, it's Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Bello from Anthrax, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Turn it up! All right, Welcome to episode 131 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 131, we're going to be doing a little bit on a show that's coming to Stage AE on the North Shore on the 17th of November. Hard to believe it's going to be November. Actually, as you're listening to this, it will be November, so... Uh, time to put away the shorts and the t-shirts and get out the parkas and the boots. But wear those boots out to see Anthrax, Testament, and Death Angel. Going to be a great night of old school thrash over on the North Shore. So, to get you in the mood, Aaron had the opportunity to talk to one of his longtime bass playing idols, Frank Bellow of Anthrax. So we're going to get into that interview in just a minute. We've also got on the show a new band for you guys to check out called Edge of Paradise. And also we're going to continue in our producer series with a piece with uh, Tony and Aaron talking about copywriting. So, if you've got the time, Frank Bellow Bandwagons. show today we have frank bellow the bassist for the band anthrax frank how are you doing today i'm doing great i'm uh, i'm in albuquerque uh, new mexico right now and uh on tour with this uh worship music record that we were really record cd whatever you want to call it um we're touring it and uh we're, we're loving it man we're having a good time now excellent now you are on tour with death angel and testament right now correct yeah good friends of us um we wanted to put a package together that we, took, we thought people would like, and it turns out that they do. <laughs> and uh, we're, doing, we're doing really good numbers. Everybody's really happy on the business side of things. So um, it, it turned out to be a really good, uh, really good bill for everybody just to see that, you know, there's not a lot of money in people's pockets right now. So we just wanted to give value for your money. So we think this tour does it. Oh, that's awesome. Now, so how, how's, the tour, uh, how's the tour been going as far as just how's the new material being received, you know? 
Oh, it's, it's just great. We've had, we've had nothing but um, just blast at the shows. We're playing, actually, uh, a bunch of new songs from the new record also. So we're having the catalog uh, that we do. We, we're mixing in every night. We're mixing in just different songs that we have from our catalog and just surprising people. And it's kind of fun to see the people's faces. It's, it's really a lot of fun right now. And that was actually going to be one of my questions. What can people expect from the set list? So you guys are playing a lot of material off worship music. Right? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, the thing is, Expect the unexpected from us. Uh, that's what I want. I mean, for me as a fan of this music, I, I don't want to see the same set list every, every night either. So it's nice I mean, when we go to the encores and stuff, just play different songs. And, you know, you have your standards you have to play because people get mad if you don't play them. Um, and that's fine because I want to play those songs too. But uh, it is nice to mix it around and, and going into the catalog. How about this one tonight? How about this? You know, it's just kind of cool. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you guys have such the back catalog too. I mean, you have so many classic songs. It's got to be hard to pick a set list for you guys at this point. It is, but you know what? At the end of the day, uh, you know it works and what doesn't, and sometimes we'll pick out something that it just that you just really forget how good playing it was. It was just, just a lot of fun playing. Like, we, played this, we put out a song, NFL, the other night, which we haven't played in a while, and it just felt so good to play the song. You know, it, just, it brought back a lot of memories, and to see the people's faces, they were raging on it. It was it's just a lot of fun it, for both. It's the band and the, and the fans, so it really worked out well. Oh, man, and I love that song. So I, I can't wait to see you guys come through Pittsburgh. Maybe um, oh, and the Pittsburgh fans will get a taste of that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm, dude, and we haven't, we haven't been around in a while, so it's, for us it's our pleasure. <laughs> it's really a lot of fun to see, to say hello again, and, uh, and just on this note specifically, it's just a really good vibe. Oh, that's fantastic. So let's talk about you as a bass player here for a little bit. At, um, at what age did you start picking up the bass guitar? I say around 12, 13 years old. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a really good run. Uh, I, uh, and the, the, quite honestly, just as a bass player, I mean, not even a songwriter, I love bass more now, and I'm more interested in learning more about the bass now. Uh, after all these years than ever, I just found a whole new um, thing, a whole new way of playing that I want to learn. And uh, it just, it just, I love learning. And every day, I, I'll go to YouTube, I'll, I'll check out some, you know, some James Jameson stuff, and or just any different players that I see. Wow, that sounds cool. I'll check that out. I just found it really interesting. So it's, it's, it hasn't stopped. It's like a, it's a burning in my belly, you know? That's fantastic. Now, I was actually going to ask what were, who some of your influences were. So I guess now you seem to be going back more to the classic roots. But when you were 13, yeah. first picking up the bass, who influenced you the most? Oh, that's easy. That's, uh, you know, I have <laughs> the Getty Lee thing, uh, Steve Harris thing, and uh, Giza Butler. Those, those are my top three. Those are my heroes. Uh, always, I mean, and then we just go on. I mean, I, I also love um, Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick, just his bass sound. I always thought he had a piano-like bass sound, so I kind of try to emulate that with Anthrax and, and putting that to cut through the, the heavy guitars with the sounds. So it's kind of like that's in my head a little bit there too. But uh, you know, I just I'm just really into bass. People that actually play bass and just really enjoy it, you know. You can always tell John Entwistle, John Paul Jones, you know, I mean, Jaco Pastore. You can go anywhere. It's, as I got older, I, I just started learning from different people. Yeah, and i got to say, like, being a young bassist growing up and listening to you as one of my heroes, you've had a lot of fantastic bass moments on Anthrax records over the years. Um, oh, things like 13. Oh, you're welcome. So can we talk about 13? 13 was on State of Euphoria, probably one of my favorite bass riff kind of things I heard on an album. 
And to this day, I don't know if I can still figure it out. So how did you come up with that, and how did that come about? You know what happens with and thank you for that, it, and it, It's funny because that's such an obscure song, 13. Uh, I just had this thing I claimed as an exercise, just something that just kept popping in my head. And, uh, and that's usually happened. You get a little thing and just get ears warmed up to, and you just start playing it. And it turned into this, this song, this like little story, you know, storytelling song for me in my head. And uh, I, I just said, I told the guys, look, I, I really like this thing. Uh, just to put it as a, as a, you know, like a side thing on the, on the record, just a left, left turn somehow, like uh, something that just is different than the rest of the record. And they said, it's cool. Let's do it. You know, and Charlie played a little drum thing on it. So it was kind of cool. It was fun. Uh, and it was just such a great little kind of almost like an intro into one of my favorite songs on that record, Finally. Yeah, it kind of it kind of lends itself to itself right there. It just it leads right up to the song, but it's actually not an intro. It's just by itself. But people took it like that. So for me, it, it all worked fine. Oh yeah, it was a great, great little piece. So Thank you. you've been playing Fender basses for years. Why? Yeah. Why Fender? Well, I I kind of that was I mean one of my favorite bass players um, and and two of my favorite bass players, uh, Eddie Lee, Steve. They they've always used. So uh, I guess I saw that and imprinted into my brain. And then, you know, let's face it, you know, they, they are, they are a, a bass that everybody has, every bass player. But you know what? They're not the only bass. In, I, have, I have a lot of basses at home. <laughs> you know, they're not the just, you know, I have my signature model sender. And there's other companies out there. So, so, I mean, I just like the way my basses feel. I mean, there's certain basses that just you, you fall in love with and, uh, and uh, believe me, I have a lot of bases that, that aren't Fender at home that, that, that are really great, but Fender's a great company. Well, I've been playing Fender for years myself, and that's why, again, you, you've you been one of my heroes, you and Steve Harris, because you guys are probably the two Fender players that always come to mind if I ever think of Fender players. And, that's a great and, compliment. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And in this day and age, you don't see as many heavy players like yourself playing Fenders. They're playing other basses. And I love to hear the sound that you get because your sound has always been able to be very distinctive and cut through, you know, that wall of sound that, that is the Anthrax guitar sound. So how have you, you achieved noticing. that sound? Are you oh, welcome? Thank you for noticing because it's totally not, it's really not easy to get, um, to cut through the sound of, of the wall of sound that is Scotty's guitar sound, which is amazing, and Charlie's kick drums. So it's, it's really, it's really an effort, um, on myself and the producer, so to get through it, that was the old, you know, know what's in my head. I know the sound I want to hear. It's a little bit of a distorted sound, not, not too much distortion, but it's a cut through, and I'll go back to the Tom Peterson thing. It's also a piano-like top end, a good mix of mid-range and lower end to cut through. Um, it, and specifically on worship music, the new room, and people ask me what my favorite bass sound. This is it for me. I mean, I still listen to the record really... I'm really proud of it, the way the way the bass cuts through and the, the bass just actually sounds for the songs. They actually, I think the bass actually helps the songs, which is which is really what you want to do. You know, and, and you're right, because it really cuts through the sound. It complements everything. And i got to say, since we're on the topic of the new record here, this new record is my favorite record since Persistence of Time. I mean, it's just a phenomenal piece of work. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And, you know, and with worship music, the thing is, it's a long time to... See the up and downs and stuff, but uh, come to fruition uh, to, to see the people's reactions and the reviews this thing's getting. Uh, it's really it's a great payoff for us. It's just it made it all worthwhile. The, all the trials and tribulations, 
And for anybody who's listening to this right now, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, check it out. Just listen to it. Go to iTunes and just test it. And just, I think you'll be sold. And, uh, it, I'm really, really proud of the record. I, the great thing about this record is uh, people are asking for different songs every day on it, which is great. Uh, it makes us feel really like it was with a while. So uh, I can't wait. To, I, I'll play any song on this record live because I'm really excited to do that. Oh, and, and every song's a great song. I was talking to one of my buddies Thank about you. it, and he was asking me, he's, he's like, well, how close can you anthrax? Like I said, this is, and you don't get this very often today. Like when I was growing up, I, I used to get this a lot. But today, for to be able to pick up an album and be able to say what I'm about to say here, you don't hear it. This is a start-to-finish record. Every song's a good song. Every song is something I can sing along with, or there's a catchy melody. I mean, you guys really, really crafted this record. How, how did you go about this whole process? Well, it was just that. You just said it. it was crafting. It's like everybody has a record that they were proud of. You're always proud of your newest record, but this record specifically, we had the luxury of time to pull out and edit the parts we didn't think and it and, and take out the parts that didn't belong and put the parts that did belong in that we thought. And that's why I think it came out to the song Structures came out so strong. Um, and it, it's just, it's just, I think we know what we're doing at this point. I mean, it's been a you know, we've been around for a while, so uh, I think we've gotten to be better writers, and uh, it, it it all came around. And I, I like, this is the attitude of the band right now. This record is the attitude of the band. It's like all or nothing, and I think people are really understanding that. Yeah, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, I love listening to this record. I can put on any track on shuffle, and it just it, it just grabs you. You want to sing along. You get excited when you hear it. I can't wait to see this live. Yeah, that, and that's the, that's the thing we're getting, and that's the great... And for us, to, number one, for Worship Music to debut number 12 on Bill for Anthrax after eight years is a, is a feat in itself. So we're blown away with that. We didn't expect that. And uh, the album's doing well. We're really excited now, with, now that we're on tour. It's, it's just we're seeing the reaction from the fans, and uh, it's just a really good thing to be back, you know? Yeah, and believe me, as a fan, I am so glad to see you guys at the top of your game like this. This is just... It's just really great stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, it's, it's nice to, to have a record out and, and be relevant and uh, people talking about it nonstop. And, uh, you know, I, I just, all I could say is I think fan base, the, the fans, it's, it's about that. It's for them. And it's not just that some, some guy from a band saying, yeah, thank you, the fans. It's not that. It, it's a, this is a joint venture here, man. It's like, there's a, there's a movement, there's a movement out there. We gave this record and it's, it, it's one of the people's favorites, which is great, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And we just want to push this music forward. That's what... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's just, it's just again, just so refreshing to hear this this kind of music. Now let's um, let's switch gears a lot, a little bit. Let's talk about some of the music you guys made in the '90s, because you were still putting out great music in the '90s when other metal bands were falling by the wayside. Um, Thanks. And a couple of albums, you guys worked with Dimebag. Um, could you share a couple of your fondest dime bag moments? Because I know he's a little bit of a trickster and a prankster at times. Uh, oh, he's a dude. Um, put it this way. I'll put, on, the, on the Anthrax Pantera tour, we were, we were out we were quite a while. We were on for quite a while with them because we were obviously good friends. And uh, I had, I'll tell you a quick story. I had, uh, we played Mexico, and for some reason I got, I don't know if you know what a parasite is, but it really it's a, it's a bug that you get in your system, and you can't hold anything on your stomach because... It, this is parasite, literally making life hell for you. 
and anything you eat or drink. So the yeah. long story short of it all is I had this thing for on the Pantera tour, and, and you know the amount of drinking that went on in that tour, in every Pantera tour. Yeah. That, that was, I mean, there were mornings I was waking up great from drinking and waking up with beer, so I knew I had to hide out for a couple of weeks just to get better. I literally, I was actually hiding out on that tour. It was just a thing in the back of the bus. I just can't, I can't. And time would come on, let's go. And God rest his soul. Believe me. Believe me, that man is missed in the biggest of ways. He was one of us. He played on the last few records. Uh, he was the sixth member of Anthrax, without doubt. Uh, and we still consider him to this day. We know uh, we have this song, In the End, that's a tribute to Dimebag and Ronnie James Dio. And every night we play that song, dude, I'm telling you, the guy's, the guy's with us, and we feel it. Uh, and, and he would have played on the record, without a doubt, if he was still here. And, but uh, I don't think he's ever going to leave. He's, he's part of this band, so he'll always be part of us. Uh, and that's fantastic. I mean, he was such a great player. He was a big part of some, some of my favorite, you know, Anthrax moments in the 90s. And it's always been great to see. You guys have always been just that, the, the, I don't want to say the party band, but you're the band that just is the, um, the ambassadors, we'll say, of metal. You guys seem to just, you know, make friends with everybody, and, and you're just a lovable bunch of guys. Well, why, I mean, I never saw a reason to be an idiot. <laughs> I, ne- I never saw a reason to be anybody but you, who you are. I, I, why would you pretend? Like, I, I genuinely like talking to people. I don't, it's human. It's human. Who, who is a band member in any band, for that matter, to be above anybody? Just always, I keep it on a human level because it's, why not? It's so stupid. Why could you play music? You're different. <laughs> Any difference to me. I'm a lucky guy who was able to have a talent to play music. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough and blessed to be making a living. And I don't forget that day of my life. Well, Frankie, I am glad to hear that. And I'm also really glad that you guys are coming through Pittsburgh here very soon in November. Um, so I know you're on tour. We won't take up any more of your time. Thanks for coming on the show and talking to us today. Hey, bro. Listen, thank you so much for hanging in. Uh, look, worship music. Go out and check it in. We're here for you. album worship music that was the devil you know from anthrax again they will be in town the 17th of november to play stage ae with testament uh one of the great great bands uh kind of an arguably uh, one of those bands you could consider in the big five if that was the case uh you know obviously slayer anthrax metallic and megadeth uh the big four but there are a lot of bands that you can make arguments that are just right on that door and testament is certainly one of those as well so They'll be there. Also, Death Angel, a band that's been around for really forever in the thrash scene. So 
this is a can't lose kind of show. If you're into any one of those bands, and you're probably into all three. So, again, Stage AE, you can get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. You can go to StageAE.com for all the information. All right, next up on the show, we have an interview that I conducted with Margarita Monet of the band Edge of Paradise. Uh, kind of a new band, so we're going to give you an interview, and then we're going to give you a taste of their music. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. Ladies and gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome to the show from the band Edge of Paradise, vocalist Margarita Monet. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Not a problem, not a problem. Well, out here on the west, or on the east coast, uh, we're getting a little rain, snow, sleet mix today. Um, you're in California right now? Um, I'm in L.A. Okay, so it's certainly not snowing there today, huh? <laughs> no. No, um, I wanted to get you on the show... Um, kind of introduce the band. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how the project kind of came Sorry. to be? I, I know I had read, read about the band and uh, Tony Franklin's involvement. And, and uh, Was it Greg Bizzanetta? Do you want to talk a little bit about how all this came together and what the, what the band is comprised of now? Well, um, it's because Dave Bates, uh, the guitar player, he had a band previously called Bleed, and it was fronted by Robin McCauley. Um, so this band kind of um, came about when I met Dave, and um, Bleed just went their separate ways. And um, so Dave knew Greg and Tony before. Uh, I know he met Tony at a clinic. Um, music clinic at a music store and he showed him some of his music and Tony liked it so they decided to record some songs because all the songs started with a guitar um, so he met Greg and Tony and they recorded some music and then um, Robin came in the picture and recorded some vocals over it and um, Dave and Robin formed a band um, so after Bleed um, parted um, I met Dave and we already had a big library of music to choose from, so we kind of, um, you know, reworked the songs and tried to find our own sound. But Greg and Tony are on most of the tracks, um, and they're phenomenal musicians, you know. We'd definitely uh, work with them in the future because they make, make such a solid rhythm section. So, it's, you know, we got really lucky um, that Greg and Tony were part of this CD. Now, how would you categorize, I mean, I've seen it referred to as almost industrial, but it isn't necessarily what I hear, but how, how do you categorize Edge of Paradise Town? Um, we just call ourselves um, heavy metal. You know, there's so many uh, different 
subgenres of metal these days, and um, it's hard to pinpoint, um, you know, the right genre, I guess, for this music because there's so many influences that go into it, and we strive to um, c come up with our own sound. So, uh, industri there's definitely a little, you know, some industrial elements to it, but also there's hard rock elements to it. There's um, progressive elements to it, so it's really um, hard to pinpoint the you know the <laughs> right subgenre. So we just go with it, you know, calling it heavy metal. Yeah, I, I long for the days when music just was heavy metal, and we didn't have a core and a deathcore and a grindcore and a yes, metal. it gets very confusing. <laughs> you know, and I think it, it tends to pigeonhole people. You know, I. I you know, I think of myself as not necessarily a death metal fan, but there are certainly bands in that that are labeled as that genre that I think are very good. So um, yeah. maybe we should push for the world to just call it metal again. Um, as a as a singer and a, and a and a front woman at the band, is there a particular in, in your formative years somebody you looked up to or, or try to kind of pattern your style after? Um, my biggest influence is uh, Ronnie James Dio. So. Um, I look up to a lot of, um, you know, male front, um, you know, like uh, Robert Plant is also one of my biggest influences. I don't know if I um, have any female, I guess, um, I remember I was, met Joan Jett once and I just really liked how she just commanded everybody. You know, when yeah. she's on stage, she's such a small person. She's, you know, yeah. she's tiny, but when she's up there, she's just like the queen of everything, you know? Yeah, so she's I got that attitude for yeah. a while. Yes, but... Mm -hmm. Now, do you want to so, talk but, a little bit, I mean, as far as where the... the album, did you guys work with a producer, or did you do it kind of in a home studio, or, or where was the album recorded? Um, well, it was uh, self-produced. I mean, Dave produced, mo you know, most of it. Um, it was recorded in many different places. Um, it started at um, Robert's place. It's called August Again Studio. It's a really nice studio up in Simi Valley. Um, then uh, we went to David Williams at Melrose, which is in Hollywood. It's a pretty cool studio. Um, it's right across the street from Paramount, so, you know, it's like you're around that area, so... It's kind of cool if you're right in the heart of Hollywood. So it was uh, um, recorded in two different places, but it was all self-produced. You know, and it was I think it was right for this record um, because yeah. it was, you know, we were finding our own sounds. We were trying different things and see what works, see what doesn't. So we had a lot of freedom to, you know, experiment. So, uh, you know, in the future, I would like to work with a producer, but for this record, I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, you have to kind of expensive to experiment with your sound with a, you know, with a hired producer in there. Did you guys have the backing of a label, or is the album with a label at the moment? Um, sorry, something. Um, no, we didn't have a label. It was all, sorry, I couldn't hear your question. Can you ask it again? Are you guys actually on on a label now with the album, or is, are you guys handling distribution yourself? Um, we we have a self label, Shredrock Records, so um, we self distribute. Um, we release it on Loud Tracks. It's a pretty cool site. It's kind of like iTunes, but for heavy music, based in Canada. 
Uh, but we're no, we're looking for the right labels because we had a few different offers from indie labels, and it's just we really need somebody who has a vision and who has money to invest into it because it's just such a tremendous amount of time and money that has to go into a band and to sign away to somebody that's um, kind of right, you know, is just, um, you know, would be a wrong step. So a right yeah. label is really detrimental. So we're still yeah, on the lookout for that. In the industry today, there isn't a lot of room for mistakes, you know, even with debut albums. It used to be you had, you know, at least to your third album to kind of get it right, you know, 20 years ago. But now, you know, if you get into the wrong label now, it's almost like career suicide. Now, um, yeah. I, I know you guys have a lot of dates in the California area. Do you plan on trying to do any kind of regional touring or, or outside of you know, the western part of the United States? Oh, yes. Uh, it's coming pretty fast. Um, we're, we're actually going on the road at December and um, you know, continuing, to continuing throughout 2012. So we're going to do, um, we're going to go up to the East Coast and then uh, from then um, hopefully expand internationally, maybe go to Canada. We don't know, um, you know, certainly yet. But we are working on the U.S. tour right this very minute. So it should be announced pretty soon. So we're all excited for that. You know, like that kind of brings an interesting thought when you're talking about touring in Canada and things like that. And, and from the perspective of an artist in your situation, is the United States the primary goal? Or do you look at possibly like the European market where maybe specifically metal obviously is extremely you know, probably in Germany and Poland and places like that, or, you know, when you're kind of devising the plan of how to conquer the music world, for lack of a better term, is the United States still the key, the measuring stick for artists? Um, I wouldn't think so. Our goal is definitely to expand to Europe because we had a lot of in interest from, um, you know, Germany, Eastern Europe, Canada too, especially female-fronted acts in Canada is pretty know that's pretty popular there now. Um, it, U.S. is kind of tough, but you know we had some success around here. It just L.A. is a tough market, especially because it, it's just so saturated with bands that people are kind of tired of going out to bands, and um, you know DJs are very popular here, like you know dance and pop. It's just so saturated with that kind of. You know, not metal and not hard rock. So um, I heard it's you know it's different on the East Coast because um, bands are still you know metal and hard rock is still pretty popular up there. But you know our goal is definitely to expand to Europe and Canada. So but you know U.S. is cool too. It's you know it's our country. So we'll try as yeah. best as we can to conquer U.S. as well. Yeah, it's it, it, it kind of struck me as you were answering the question uh, that led me to that question about the United States because, you know, I think especially in the 80s and the 90s, you know, every band in the world wanted to come to the United States and, and get a platinum album. That was kind of the measuring stick. But, if you know, I, I think about an act like Edge of Paradise, and I think, okay, this is 2011. You know, we're going to be in 2012 before we know it. Maybe the United States isn't necessarily, you know, you might make a little bit of noise here, but you can make a living 
in German. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's about for a band. You know, you've got to get your feet underneath. You've got to get momentum. You've got to get capital, obviously, to continue making albums. But maybe the United States is the market that you necessarily oh, yeah. think of. It was very... I, I, Glad you were very honest on that answer because it's really a, it's a fascinating point. Um, let me talk to you about your video. I mean, you guys, uh, the, the track, exceptional uh, video, and you guys obviously are kind of a band that's made for video, but is that process something that's comfortable for you? Do you enjoy that process of making music videos? Um, to make a video, yes. It was really um, it was really cool. I love making videos. Um, it was kind of stressful to... Uh, get everything together to make sure the day of the shoot went perfect because we had so many people involved. But you know, shooting a video by itself, I mean, it's awesome. So we definitely look forward to make another one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. That I, you know, I've had this discussion with other artists. You know, there are, it's it's kind of a different world than again 20 years ago because you could make a video, and a, and a band would be on MTV or VH1. But now YouTube is almost as important as being on iTunes. And, um, yes. Mm-hmm. But and, and um, you guys have, have got, I, I think, a very good-looking video, you know, as far as quality and professionalism. But you know, it, you don't have the backing of a massive record label throwing hundred thousand dollars at, which is great. Yeah. That the, the product can be obtained for for lower cost than it used to be. It used to be you know, bands would spend more money on their videos than they did making the album. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, 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 so we'll be looking for... Is the, the album is available now? You said it loud, Trek? Yes. Oh, it's uh, now it's everywhere. It's on iTunes. Okay. It's on Amazon. It's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how can fans find out about your band? Like, uh, where do they go on the web to find out about you? Uh, you can go to our website, which is edgesparadiseband.com. Um, and okay. all the links are on the website, so you can find us everywhere from there. Um, you know, we're on Facebook. Uh, what else is there? Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. different places. I mean, web, web, internet is just so big right now. So it's a, definitely a blessing and a curse. You know, so it's easy yeah. to spread the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is the one great thing, you know, with many bands uh, that complain about the music from the internet seems to forget the fact that the internet is also a much more effective and cost-effective way to market your band. You know, yes. it, it's great. You know, you build a professional-looking website, and you know you can attract fans from literally all around the globe every day of the week. You know, back. Yes, it's you know, awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, album. You put out a new CD, and you had to pay for a full-page ad in certain magazines, something like that. So, you know, it's really a great thing. So edgeofparadiseband.com and we'll play a track here to get everybody's appetite wet and hopefully get them out and get the CD. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
All right, again, that was Edge of Paradise with a track falling down. I want to thank Margarita for coming on the show. Also, certainly want to thank Frank Bell of the band Anthrax for coming on the show as well. Now we are going to get into one of the final segments of the producer series. Uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, what we've been doing over the last, uh, I believe, nine episodes is breaking down the music industry for amateurs. Um, there are a lot of bands out there that we have on the show that have millions of dollars of budget. Uh, but there's also a lot of people out there that listen to the show that have a $300 M-Box from Pro Tools in their house and are trying to make a great record. So what we have done, we have teamed up with uh, Tony Maranaki of Total Music and Entertainment. Uh, and he is basically breaking down the music industry from what do you need to do when you go into the studio? How do you get a good sound? What does the engineer do? What is the mastering process? Uh, we have what is live sound? And in continuing that fashion, today we're going to talk about something that uh, is probably very foreign to most musicians who uh, make an album, put it out on YouTube, put it on MySpace, put it on Facebook. The background of copywriting. Um, as you can read in many interviews and things with professional musicians, this is the thing that can burn a lot of musicians. If you don't know what's going on with your music, who owns it, um, you'd be surprised how many bands we talk to on this show, and I say, can we use one of your songs? And their answer is, check with the record company, they own the masters. You know, those are things that, as a musician, you need to consider. Um, so, Tony and Aaron um, kind of take us into a subject that I think we're all going to learn a lot about today. So, before, without further ado... Tony Maranaki and Aaron talking about copywriting. All right. Well, let's transition here into our last final big topic where we will talk about copyright, publishing, and then the release. Cool. So let's, let's go ahead and start here. Um, what can you tell us about copyright, Tony? Well, outside of like anything that I'm going to say is going to be top secret and that your speakers are going to explode within 10 minutes of hearing this. <laughs> No, but I think uh, seriously, it is a serious subject. Copyright is uh, amazingly overlooked, though everybody knows what it is. Uh, I think if you're working in a collaborative aspect or just you're a songwriter, you should initially start off with copywriting your material. Uh, you can either use the Library of Congress. Uh, if you want to copyright your lyrics, you can go on to the Library of Congress's website. You can go by our website. It's tmentertainment.com. If you go to the links page, you'll see one of the top uh, uh, sections there. We have that for our songwriters. Is you'll see Library of Congress, and that'll take you right to their forms page. You can copyright your lyrics online for like $35. If you're going to copyright an entire song, it's lyrics, music. Um, you should use a PA form. There's instructions for that. However, you can also use an SR form. It's the same thing. The only difference between the PA and the SR uh, for somebody who doesn't transcribe music, um, if you don't transcribe your melody, you should use the SR form. If you transcribe your melody, you should use the PA form. Um, you can also use the PA form if you have a finished song, you know, uh, melody in lyrics. You can send a CD of the song as well as a hard copy of your lyrics and you can use a form PA for that. But the form PA in its truest sense, the only way your melody, things like that, are copywritten and the reason why your lyrics are 
I guess, automatically copywritten is because of how the actual copyright law is, is like written up. It's not open to interpretation. The only copyrightable part of a song is the written part of the song. So when you give somebody a hard copy of your lyrics, they're written out, a judge can read it. When you give them an audio CD, all he can do is hear what you, re what you recorded. If you transcribe your song, or people who use MIDI to compose, after you're done, you can just, just go to like a transcribe screen and print out each part, piano, bass, uh, drums, whatever. Uh, those parts are copyrightable in that they're written out. So if somebody tries to steal your hook and, you know, you want to try to lay claim to that, you're leaving it up to a judge to sit there and try and listen, you know, and sometimes that's like close to impossible. Well, if you have your stuff written out, transcribed, you know, like a, like a music staff, you know what that looks like. That's yeah. five would, would lines. Would a lead sheet be accessible here? No, a lead sheet is uh, for, like, movies and stuff. All that does is say um, your song um, – oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of a cue sheet. Okay. A lead sheet would be um, – uh, uh, somewhat accessible. Well, I hope you edit that out, not to make me sound stupid. <laughs> or if you don't, so what? No, um, a lead sheet is somewhat acceptable, uh, but still, I mean, you still got to like write it out. You can, yeah, I mean, you, you could probably transcribe your guitars, uh, things like that. But the the only true copyrightable part of the music is if it is written out. Uh, transcribed that way it's written out a judge can look at it see the the a judge that would determine this kind of lawsuit is a judge up in new york and this judge graduated from juilliard school of music so he knows how to deal with this stuff it's not right it's not your local magistrate that happens to be a plumber on the side or something you know what i'm saying right right so they would look at this music and be able to read it well this is your hook this is your melody whatever and then the other person would have to present their evidence. And if it's just in a sound recording, you know, unless the judge can actually say, well, yeah, this, I can hear it, it's exactly the same, then um, uh, certainly you would have a claim. Uh, he could go back and play it on his probably uh, baby grand piano that he has in chambers or something, you know, to determine it even further. But, uh, you know, to fully protect yourself in your music under the under how the copyright law is written um, you should include a CD an audio CD uh, of your song um, preferably typed out lyrics or at least really good handwritten lyrics because they get thousands of submissions a day and you don't want them to sit there and transcribe something wrong okay. And if you're and if you're good enough to transcribe music, uh, then you should do that. Now, with that said, I don't want anybody to not copyright their song because they don't know how to transcribe. You should copyright your stuff as soon as you can, whenever you can, even if it's using a poor man copyright. And that's just as simple as putting a CD, again, the lyrics in an envelope, going down to your post office sending it to yourself, 
but not opening it until you need to because that way it's sealed and it's dated. So at least protect yourself with what's called the poor man copyright. If you're done with the song, then move to those other copyright forms that I mentioned. So let me ask you this then. Um, let's take a band um, that's, that's under a label. Let's take somebody like the Sex Pistols because I am pretty sure that those guys were probably not transcribing music. So would they do a form SR or would like the record label bring somebody in to actually do the transcriptions to send full copyright? You know what's kind of sick, dude, is actually half of the people in that band could transcribe music. Really? i, I got to say I'm, I'm a little surprised on that, okay? Only because if you're English, yeah. I mean, you're, that's actually beat into you in school. You're, that you learn how to transcribe music in I'm high school. Jealous. In England. Ain't that some crazy stuff? That is. That is. I'm definitely jealous. I didn't get near enough music education in high school. <laughs> but they would have somebody, uh, a production assistant or somebody in that regard, kind of maybe draw out something rough like that. But in okay. a sense, <clears throat> you know, you're just looking to copyright lyrics and a rough melody. Uh, so a lot of those kind of tracks, punk rock, things like that, are um, copywritten using, say, an SR form or maybe a PA form. Okay. All right, folks, that concludes this episode of Iron City Rocks, episode 131. We invite you to check out our website, ironcityrocks.com. Um, you'll find a concert calendar for the Pittsburgh area. You'll find a ton of information about bands that have been on our show. So whether you're in Pittsburgh, uh, which is which is great. We encourage anybody from Pittsburgh to listen, or from anywhere around the world. I know we have a lot of international and uh, across the United States listeners as well. So we invite you all to check out the website. For those in the Pittsburgh area, especially those in bands, we do have the second annual Iron City Rocks Pittsburgh Music Awards. So if you go to ironcityrocks.com, right across the top, there's a link for awards. We have begun the nomination process for this year. You can nominate bands for best uh, hard rock blues, punk, you name it. Also, individual musicians and this year's Hall of Fame class. Uh, keep in mind, last year's Hall of Fame class is not eligible to be voted for again this year, so please don't vote for Joe Grishecki, Donnie Iris, or the Mighty Reb Beach. Uh, try to think of someone else in the area or someone uh, close to the area. Western Pennsylvania is certainly open uh, for voting as well. So, if you get a chance, check that out. Uh, if you're a band, we'd appreciate you sharing that with your fans. Get yourself lots of votes, and we will have the most nominated bands will then become finalists, which we will do in December of this year. So check that out. Also, we are on Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, and YouTube, you guessed it, Dot com forward slash Iron City Rocks. So check us out any of those places. Feel free to drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. And we invite you back for episode 132, which I promise you will be special. Yeah.